so I would like to welcome everyone to the roundtable today. My name is Brianna Reese, and I'm the student director here at the Arm Inspector Center. Today, our host is Mary Ann Wagner-Graham, and we will be discussing the Zika virus outbreak. Now, let's turn it over to you. Thanks, Brianna. Um, I'm Mary Ann Wagner-Graham. Uh, this is my second year here at Philadelphia University, and I'm teaching the anatomy and physiology courses, primarily for the health science students. I'm also directing the undergraduate health science program here. I have a doctorate in cell molecular biology from MCP Hanneman University, and I've taught at several institutions in the past, including Marywood University, Harrisburg University, and Westchester University, and Community College of Philadelphia, so I'm very glad to be here. Um, also on our panel today, we have one of our Philadelphia University um, schools, I'm Kyle Murphy, I'm a first year college student. I'm Samantha Ryder, I'm a chemistry major and I'm a junior here. I'm Nick Prancy, I'm a pre-med major, I'm a junior here also. And Evan Lane, I'm the director of the Spectre Center for Public Service. into one big long protein. And 
then all of the proteins that make the virus functional get cut out from that one big long protein. Um, and the virus itself, you know, carries one of the, the proteases that can help to do that, but it also relies on the machinery in our own cells, not just to replicate its genome and make more of itself, but to cut up that one big long protein into the functional bits that make new virus. As the non-medical person here, mm -hmm. okay, um, so what? So what, what effect does it have once the virus starts replicating inside a person? What happens? It, it hijacks yourself. So it, it comes in and takes over the molecular workings inside your cells. So your cells need to make new proteins to replace the ones that are wearing out in your cell. Your cell needs to make more um, glycoproteins and glycolipids to replenish the cell membrane and all that. But when a virus starts to replicate in the cell, it takes over. And the cell can't maintain its normal housekeeping functions. So the cell's going to die, right? And, and when it dies, it's going to be releasing new virus particles that go on to infect surrounding cells or can get into the bloodstream and travel other cells remotely. So that's how we get the symptomology of the viral infection, because the virus is destroying our own body cells to make more of itself. So with Zika, what are the symptomology? Um, that you have what if you're infected do you automatically get symptoms? You, you don't get the symptoms automatically so I, I made sure to write them down um, but the most common symptoms that arise they usually develop 3 to 12 days post exposure and they kind of mimic um, you know flu-like symptoms so you get mild fever a rash and the rash is over the entire body mostly centered trunk and the neck and the face and so it's a um, red like irregular shaped red blotchy type of rash and uh, also the eyes can be involved with conjunctivitis so you get the almost like a pink eye situation where the eyes are inflamed and itchy and tearing um, and headaches and also joint pain right but not everybody that gets the infection will become symptomatic so you could be infected with Zika and never show symptomology, but still be seropositive, and you could still pass that virus on, right, through sexual transmission. Is that the way it's done? Is that the only way it's done, through sexual transmission, or is it airborne? Oh no, we, it, it's not airborne, it's not airborne. Okay. Right, it's not airborne, and it's not direct contact, except through sexual contact. It's, um, you know, usually people get it from a mosquito, getting bit by an infected mosquito. So a mosquito can, can a mosquito bite a man and then he passes it to a woman, like through sexual contact? Yes. yes. Um, and then that could, okay. What makes someone more susceptible to like get the rash and the symptoms? I'm not really sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, but Zika has uh, two very close cousins, um, also viral diseases, uh, dengue fever and chikagunya. So when they test for Zika, they also test for exposure to those two viruses because the symptoms can, can mimic one another across those three viral illnesses. So you can get it by getting stung by a mosquito. Uh -huh. um, and you could become symptomatic or not. Mm -hmm. But even if you are asymptomatic and you have 
body fluids? Is that a body fluid exchange? You can give another person, male or female, mm -hmm. you can give them the disease. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's, it's scary okay. when you think about it because that's how HIV spread so quickly because people didn't know they were infected and then they were passing on. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, I want you to get something. And then Introduce yourself. I'm Chloe, I'm a freshman, first year on society major. I'm late say I locked out my room, so. <laughs> <laughs> so after you stop showing symptoms, are you, is the virus then dead or is it still? Oh, so people can just oh, keep spreading it. Yeah, um, I, I don't think anybody really knows how long it persists because they keep coming out with new reports that, oh, they're finding it in semen up to like three months, four months post, you know, when the symptoms resolve. So I don't think anybody really can say for certainty how long it persists and what would be this like the safe period. Um, I, I don't know, I find that to be a little bit scary. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. yeah. there are things like the chicken pox that end up being shingles later in life. So they, I think that's it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so this could potentially like have something terrible uh, towards it. Like if you have the virus in you for so many years, like, that seems problematic, kind of scary. Yeah, and, and nobody knows, and who, and who will know, but um, along those lines, it's not it's not just the cluster of symptoms you get, you know, three to 12 days after you're bit, but um, in adults, this is associated with something called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a neurological disorder, and it's kind of generalized muscle weakness um, paralysis, and um, people usually, usually don't die from Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is kind of like an autoimmune type of disorder. Um, people usually recover, but some people can have lasting neurological effects. So, and nobody really talks about the effects of Zika, um, and it's linked to Guillain-Barre in adults because the effects on the, the newborn children are so horrific with the microcephaly Let's not get. Let's just deal with the yeah. adults first. Okay. okay. So as far as as far as adults go, because this is the narrative I've heard, and the column wants to get in. It's just a flu. That's what I've heard, and you get over it without any symptom, any real long-standing uh, sequela. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I've heard. Uh, have you? What have you heard, Colin, as far as the news or um, social media, or whatever? I've heard that GBS is only like it's very rare. It only happens in certain Zika virus cases, um, but yeah, I hear the, the most prevalent narrative is that with men, it's just flu-like symptoms. I even had a couple of my friends joke, like, I'm going to go to Brazil um, because in, like not many people are going to be traveling there. It's going to be cheaper because there's a lot of Zika virus, and I'm a man, so it won't affect me. Um, but I... The biggest narrative I see is like with women, microcephaly in little children. Um, I don't, I don't know how uh, common that actually is. If you have Zika, how likely it is for a pregnant woman to get microcephaly? Maybe you can eliminate on that. Well, I don't, I don't know the rate, um, the percentage rate. I think that they're trying to just, you know, figure that one out as well. Um, and see if there's any link to when the woman would be exposed to the virus during her pregnancy and see if that has any correlation to the development
the child or the severity of you know, the neurological symptoms in the child, which can also affect the ability to see and hear and all that. Um, so I don't know if anybody knows right now what would be the rate of transmission or the rate of development of microcephaly. So we don't know if it's first trimester, first week, second trimester, or even third? They recommend, um, the CDC is recommending monitoring for all pregnant women who may potentially have been exposed to Zika. And, you know, even in the time when they conceive, Right, so if they were exposed to Zika in the time when they conceived, um, the CDC wants to know and follow those women and their children as well because they don't know. How about preconception? Yeah, they're monitoring and, and they're um, recommending that women don't travel if they're thinking of conceiving, that they don't travel to potential Zika areas. And they're recommending, I think the, the thing that I saw was about six months to make sure that they stay away from any Zika-infected areas for at least six months prior to trying to conceive. So they're concerned. I mean, there is a concern. Where are they picking the six months out? That's what I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's I'm not sure. But they do have a U.S. Zika Pregnancy Registry run through the CDC. And so now there is, you know, reporting to this surveillance um, so they want to know for all pregnant women, um, you know, they're testing them at different stages throughout the entire pregnancy. And there's a, you know, they, they have recommended testing flow charts and times that women need to be tested during the pregnancy. And then they want ultrasounds, you know, the child and all that so that they're trying to follow because I don't think they really know yet. As far as the six months, I don't know where they got that from. And this is something that isn't going to go away, I don't think, because experts in Florida recently said that it, we were, were planning on it for it to be endemic in the United States, and that's going to be here. We're not going to be able to keep it out. Um, so that's something that's really troublesome, I think, because this is going to like permanently impact like pregnancy in this country and the amount of travel that we are expected to do. Um, or that we do normally that we're probably not going we're going to think twice about now because of things like Zika. Yeah, I think we've uh, in America kind of had the luxury of most of the country isn't really affected by uh, like mosquito transfer things and other things like that. It's mostly like Africa and like South America areas that are like really warm that uh, generally are affected by like insect pest viruses and so now that Florida is getting hit like that, like, I don't think they're really prepared like some other countries to deal with something like that. So mm -hmm. like, um, Looking at um, the transmission cases, I know there's uh, four transmission cases in Pennsylvania um, and a lot more, I think, in New York, and then Florida is the biggest one. Um, they're mostly related to travel. It's not really being locally transmitted yet, except for places like Miami and places in Florida. Um, I'm wondering how we can prevent local transmission because that seems to be the thing that's like a major problem. We're not going to be able to stop uh, like it happening with traveling cases, I don't think, but um, preventing it from being locally.
admitted that seems to be something you have to like ingrain structurally within places like Florida, within places within the country so that it's not being transmitted. If I could ask just one science question before we address that, so I think we have to understand it as well. So you can get it by getting bit by a mosquito that's carrying. You can get it by having sex, exchanging body fluids with someone who's been bitten by a positive. Say we have our indigenous mosquitoes that are not infected, and they happen to bite someone who is infected. Can they then carry? Well, I mean, they're, they're in theory, be a very slight chance. There's like a question which is asked, there's vector and biological, I, I'm not sure what the word is, but one of them is the mosquito is actually infected and suffering consequences from the virus and then he passes it to you. And the other one is the mosquito has the virus, but like in the human genome, there's some virus DNA that's just kind of in there, or RNA rather, that's just in there and just doesn't do anything. And sometimes like that, well, but you get the point. One, the mosquito is affected by the virus, and one, it's not. So, but it carries it through blood. Yeah. Uh, it will, it, like, give it to you through your blood, yeah. So, do you think Zika is which one? I, I don't know. That's something. Zika is definitely, it's a, it's a biological. The one that you're thinking of is a mechanical vector. Yeah. Where the insect just yeah. picks it up from one place and puts it to another place. But yeah. the, um, the mosquitoes actually help to the life cycle of this virus, right? So it's replicating in mosquitoes. The idea is that if you can prevent the virus from infecting into the mosquito, then you can reduce it in the mosquito population and not transmit it back to um, people. So I was talking with Dr. Bauer about this talk, and she sent me something about um, people who are using Wolbachia which is a type of bacteria that infects insects, um, to infect the Aedes uh, mosquitoes with Wolbachia bacteria, and that will prevent the transmission of Zika from Zika-infected mosquitoes to people. And that's an effective treatment. I read about that. I wasn't sure they knew it was going to be effective. Yeah, they think that it will work. Okay. Um, so that's in trials bacteria yeah. to a person? No, you give it to the, you give the bacteria to mosquitoes. Oh. I'm around injecting everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, I know that uh, in some countries, like they try to like control the populations of mosquitoes. Like I just don't know how you would, how, how are they thinking of doing that? Like, well, they're, they're taking lab-infected um, mosquitoes. So these are mosquitoes that are infected with um, the Wolbachia bacteria and they're releasing them out um, and then they're going to spread it to the other mosquitoes and right so they've already used this right so following successful trials in Australia, Indonesia and Vietnam right including small scale projects last year in Latin America right so they are going to release Wolbachia infected mosquitoes in Rio de Janeiro and in Antioquia I don't know if I'm saying that right in Colombia starting next year so those are two of the hot spots for the Zika outbreak, and I think that they'll know. Um, they, it says that it's worked in Australia, Indonesia, and Vietnam, so you know, um, I think that they have a good idea 
our first, one of our first round tables two years ago, Matt Baker was here, our provost now, is Ebola. And I remember the whole hysteria about Ebola. Were we all about to die of Ebola? That was all over the news, and nurses were being locked up in different places and not allowed, and the, the press was screaming all over the place about this, and everyone was upset. And it went away. Gone. That's it. Is there some backlash to that, and that people are just saying, that's oh, another Ebola thing, another hurricane that's not going to happen, another press-created nightmare for us? Or is this the real deal, where you started off saying it may very well affect our ability to procreate, and the young people sitting around this table uh, who are thinking of having children, is uh, where is the truth in this? Is this the the big one, or is this just another hype? I'm really not sure. I, I think that this is something to be very concerned about. I think that this is rather control, controllable, where it's um, it's the mosquitoes or it's us. <laughs> so we get rid of the mosquitoes, and we get rid of the, the natural reservoir right, for the virus. And that the, the reservoir for any infectious agent is where it persists in the environment. Right, so this would be a reservoir, would be the mosquitoes. And if we can knock, it, knock out the mosquito population or control this mosquito population or do something like the Wolbachia um, bacteria that is going to stop this cycle of infection at the mosquito, then the humans should probably be fine. Right? But, but we don't know what are the effects right? Uh, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, for people who are infected. Is it going to persist in some way to prevent, you know, um, pregnancy down the line? I, I don't know if we know. But then it, I, I have another question, <laughs> right, which gets back to, is this really a new virus? I, I have read a lot, actually, in um, Africa. They saw many cases of this virus, and no one was there diagnosing these people because they didn't understand what was going on. I mean, they lack a lot of infrastructure in some of the countries, so there was no one saying, okay, this is what this person has, we need to help this person. It was just going unnoticed. So I think it's kind of scary. It has been along for so long, and we're just noticing about it now because it's coming over to our country, and it's just it's affecting a lot more. Now it matters because it's us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What are the, uh, you talk microcephaly for people who are listening to this who don't understand, what does that mean? What's the ramifications? Well, microcephaly, literally means small head, right? So the babies that are born have an abnormal um, brain structure, and because the brain is abnormal or sometimes missing pieces, um, the, the head is smaller accordingly. And so there's different degrees of microcephaly, and you know, um, so there's a gradation of disability and effects on the brain, um, but the, the marked feature is that the head is small these children are going to have lots and lots and lots of developmental issues, um, clearly developmental delays and uh, disabilities. And one of the things to think about also in terms of the outbreak is what would be the increased burden on the healthcare system to care for the you know, great influx of disabled children um, with special needs that we would see from an outbreak like this. So we have, again, all young people in the, in the panel right now um, who don't have any children as far as you guys know. Um, 
what are your feelings regarding the stress levels of this? Because you may be thinking of that when we go around, start with uh, our hostess here. Yeah, so um, coming from a woman's perspective, I think I had no idea that you can still have the Zika virus and just not know if you didn't you know, like show symptoms or anything. So I think that, especially in that way, it can be so detrimental, especially for young people who are trying to conceive and they want to have children, but they don't know, and then it's kind of like the CDC saying, well, don't travel six months before you're trying to conceive, but I feel like that's kind of like, yeah, that sounds great and everything. I just don't think that's really realistic. And um, I think just the fear of unknowing is what scares me the most. Yeah, I think that um, this really affects, like, I think the current mindset of being able to travel from, like, city to city um, and really having that be an experience in your life that's good. I think we're going to have to reevaluate, reassess what the impact of that actually is. If we can travel the way we are, um, it it doesn't only just affect Zika. I think it affects other you know sexually transmitted diseases. They go from city to city really fast because people travel um, from different places really fast within the United States. So we might be seeing um, a questioning or a skepticism with you know a jet set lifestyle people that travel um, and uh, what but yeah basically that um, kind of back to what you both said about the traveling thing not all pregnancies are planned so that's also that factor the whole you know don't travel six months before pregnancy but if it's like unplanned so and you can be on birth control and it still can happen mm -hmm. So is this causing, again, ladies, you know, is this causing you stress that you might have this disaster? And this is not like a Down syndrome child that can have a functioning life. And, you know, this is... It's not just a disability. It can kill a child. Yeah. It just makes me think, do I need to like, keep testing myself? Because, I mean, mm -hmm. you see in Florida, they're going from door to door and testing people. And I'm thinking, why are we doing it up here? I mean, it's not just transmitted by mosquito bites, so it's, it's scary. You know, I don't know what approach I really need to take. A lot of young people go down to spring break. Yeah, oh down yeah. To Florida. Right. yeah. I went to Florida for a semester of school, and like, I don't know, maybe there was Zika there, and I never got tested for it. Like you said, uh, in Africa, that yeah. it's been around for like a long time. I've gotten bitten by mosquitoes before, and maybe I didn't even notice. Should I go get tested? Like, I don't know. I think that it's not just a question for women because it can be sexual transmitted, and if you're trying to have a baby, then that's the obvious way through it, so, I mean, I feel like it could affect my, my ability to have children, too, and I don't know. Would you ask your partners, when you're, at least when you're planning, this probably brings up a lot of times these things aren't planned, but if you're planning to have children, would you say, you know, part of my testing has to be for this, and part of my partner's testing has to be for this? Is this what's going to be happening? That makes sense. Yeah. Is this like it's, you know, if you did travel to Florida in the past few years, like maybe it's a good idea just to have the test done so that, you know, it's your child and you don't want to go through a whole pregnancy. Or maybe some girl that you met up with went to Florida mm -hmm. and you don't know about. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah that's it. Or a guy, you know, it's, it's, it's all, uh, right. it sounds very, I'm, I'm very scared for you guys. Are you guys scared? Mm -hmm. I think there's yeah. a lot of risks in life. You have to take the, the risks that make sense. 
So, I mean, traveling to Brazil, I think, would be something amazing, and I would love to do it. But right now in my life, I don't really have the opportunity, and, you know, it's not always supposed to be, like, this is, like, when I'm going to travel here, and like, sometimes it's nice to do, like, spontaneous things, but, you know, there is this uh, really big epidemic happening, so I don't need to travel to Brazil right now. I can travel to, like, Europe. I've never been there, so, like, that'd be, you know... I don't think life is about not taking any risk, but maybe not traveling to Brazil right now. I think that we really need to hammer down exactly what the, what the consequences are for having Zika as a man versus what they are for like having Zika as a woman. Because I think that there's a lot of like high-risk groups maybe that um, will feel like they're not, they're not they're less concerned with the virus because it's just uh, like they're just a man and they're only going to get flu-like symptoms. There's the GBS um, and maybe you know neurological damage from that, but that's very rare. Um, I think we really need to, um, in order like uh, in order to like communicate to the general public, um, explain that this is a virus that has detrimental consequences regardless of gender um, and you will experience like negative consequences for having a virus. We're going to have a disembodied voice for a second. Our photographer has something to say. So behind the camera, Calvin. Yes, uh, kind of blind close to you, but you said it, it, it is active in Brazil, right? Yeah. So, uh, so recently Olympics just happened and people from all around the world were in uh -huh. Brazil. So do you think it's all over the world now? In fact, um, there's another sporting event, right, that brought this up to North America, and that was the World Cup. And the World Cup was held in Brazil in 2014, and looking at the travel of this um, virus, which was, was first characterized in Uganda, right, in 1947, and then I have a map of the world showing how it jumped from continent to continent, and you know, the, the last known location, right, 2014 Brazil World Cup, and then it came up to North America. So yeah, I mean, um, we really live on a small planet right now, right, as far as air travel, and we're, you know, not that far away, This, right? So infectious agents, is, is this all over the world? I, I kind of feel like, yeah, it's probably all over the world at this point. We can look at people who are infected with Zika on just about every continent. Um, but I did, I pulled some data regarding, you know, infection by state in the United States, and there's Zika cases pretty much everywhere except for Alaska. So um, if, I, if I find the numbers, um, I think actually, New York State has just slightly edged out Florida for the largest number of Zika cases, but um, New York State has the most, and they're all travel required. There, there are no local transmission, right, in New York, but uh, Florida has all of the local acquired Zika um, cases that we have in the U.S. So right here locally, um, Pennsylvania, and they, this is data as of um, October 19th. Morbidity and Mortality Weekly report where they, they catalog all the reporting for the um, 
New Jersey, 134. Delaware has 15. Florida has 708. And New York State has 715. So just slightly. And they're all travel required um, in New York. California has 296. And Texas has 231. And that's, of course, what we know of. So and these are a substantial amount that we don't know. Right, especially if you consider, like, you know, if you get bit by a mosquito and you don't show symptoms, you'd never think to get tested. Mm -hmm. Even if you do show symptoms, you might think, oh gosh, I just, I've got the flu. Mm -hmm. You know, I just don't feel well. And then the symptoms resolve, you go about your business, but if you've been infected with Zika, you still have the potential to spread it to another person, right? Do you think it's less concerning in, in like, New York because that only has one way of spreading, like, like person to person rather than Florida where like you know person to person and well if if you look at the two different kinds of mosquitoes right that are responsible for the transmission we have Aedes aegypti right and that's more southern in the United States and we also have Aedes albopictus right I can't say it albopictus right um, and that is in our area and it's in the lower portion of New York State, right? So we know it's just going to move up, right? You know that this stuff is going to move up. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we have uh, mosquito control programs in place here in Philadelphia, also in Montgomery County, which is just to our west and north. Um, so, yeah, it's here. People are, are working on it. I'm, I'm sure that they're going to try to curb that spread in New York. Do we have the technology to kill every mosquito? Because we're good all day anyway. <laughs> okay, really. I guess Egypti, that does carry a lot of viruses and a lot of different things. Yellow fever and West Nile. So why don't do we have the technology? Are they important in the bio? I'm asking you science people, do they even have a place in the biological chain other than to be an annoyance? I was looking for a good purpose for a mosquito. And I, I didn't find one. Um, the, the person I had lined up to be the, the co-panelist was going to talk about um, the transmission, right, mm -hmm. and life cycle. Um, but I, I can't think of any useful purpose for a mosquito except that other things eat them. Right? So that if you killed off all the mosquitoes, then you're killing off a food supply for birds and other things that would be eating them. Bats and Right, so that could be a bad effect. I don't know anything that they specifically do. I think, like, playing devil's advocate, you could say, like, that humans, like, we think we have such control over our, like, environment and world, but, like, with antibiotics, that has turned out to be really problematic that people didn't even think about. Like, antibiotic resistance is now a huge problem, and uh, maybe, like, changing our uh, mosquito population could have that we didn't even think about and might really change our world. They seem pretty annoying now. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have any fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I ask another question for you guys as well? Do you think you're getting, and don't call them first to get it on the information out there, in light of the fact that money's involved in this, if people, if you young folks don't travel to Florida, Florida's going to get killed economically. It depends primarily on travel especially Miami, Fort Lauderdale, um, all the other various beaches. You don't go, they're going to suffer terribly. 
So is there any part of you thinking we're not getting the true information or all the information because there's economic reasons involved? In Definitely here? think so. Yeah. Um, the CDC didn't classify Brazil as like class one, I believe, or something, uh, as like a danger zone for Zika because of the Olympics, because they were worried about what that might have in terms of ramifications for the Olympics. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, our government is not above, um, you know, being sensitive when applying, like, just how bad it might be to travel to these areas. Um, and I know that it's a big fight in Congress right now to get funding for Zika. I think it's been, um, uh, like, knocked out by Republicans, uh, like, a lot of spending on it. Um, so I think there will be a lot of quiet until we really know how to deal with it and we really like want to uh, we really like know how to tackle it and um, we'll just you know keep it out of like the general discussion I just wrote a research paper on fracking and there's like a whole list of horrible effects and like horrible chemicals that are used and like all the uh, poor health effects and uh, environmental effects but it's still very legal and it's not going away. Like the economic benefits are too great for us to just stop doing fracking. So I definitely think that the economic benefits outweigh the health benefits in a lot of cases. And this one could definitely be one of those. Where Florida is like playing it down because they don't want you to knock them to their beaches. No, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that. I mean, I was thinking about biological effects and all this mm -hmm. stuff, but how how much can we trust the information? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's a little scary. We've certainly noticed a tendency to uh, reduce the, the scope of Zika over time, because originally it was just oral sex. When it came out, it was, oh, this can be transmitted through oral sex. We don't know about other things, but oral sex is, you know, what Zika could provide. And now it's like all forms of sex. Um, and it was like, you know, don't worry about it being in the U.S. There were transmission cases in the U.S., but they were all accidental. They happened in a lab or they were just travel cases. And now I think, you know, we're starting to see local transmission. Um, we're not getting information preemptively. It's happening after we see examples of it. In, like, that would justify meaning, like, we have to get this information. So I think it's up to us in order to truly question that and preemptively know what information um, we should be giving ourselves. I think we also have to get on the backs of our so-called uh, congressional representatives that uh, the Family Values Party is allowing Zika babies to be born. There's yeah. sort of, some sort of irony in that. Um, I really. Wait, who? The Family Values Party, which is the Republican Party, is blocked funding for research, blocked funding for prevention, um, and even went rather gone on vacation just recently than vote on funding for, uh, for Zika research and Zika vaccine, all the things. So we can either sit back and grumble about it or actually start making phone calls or start writing letters and talking to your friends and relatives and maybe have a representative government surprise all of us. I think this, that, that leads to the conversation of uh, the lack of efficiency in our two-party system. And a lot of people don't have any hope in the two-party system. 
too, and they they play their team too. Like they they play the team game. Like so, I think it's not just Republicans. I think it might be our whole government. And before we can like on a large scale and like have the CDC react in a better way, I think we have to make our country run differently. So it really comes down to you making decisions in your own life to protect yourself and to inform yourself. No way to prevent 
actually gets getting bit by mosquito. No way. That's encouraging. <laughs> okay, so it's something to think about in the equation to like, oh, like, why do I want to go to Florida, like, just to enjoy the beach, or like, maybe you have like some relatives that you haven't seen in like three years, and you want to see their like new baby at the beach, like, maybe then maybe you're like, okay, like, I'll throw on some deep now and again. But I don't know, maybe if it was just a weekend, my friends trying to like, like, just go to the beach, then that since that's like, you know, there's. That's less of a compelling reason to go. So maybe think about it. See, guys, wouldn't go in that case. But I, I, I think it's really important to be vigilant. I know um, from what I've read, the World Health Organization has put out essentially a, a, a call for vaccine development. They've presented these um, deliverables that they would like to see addressed in developing a vaccine for Zika. So they're definitely on it. This is. You know, it's gone out to a global scale now um, to come up with a vaccine. Of course, they're focusing on um, women of childbearing age, you know, to deploy the vaccine initially. Um, so it's good to be vigilant. I think that the proper agencies like the World Health Organization, CDC, and even the USDA is involved in this, um, in getting vaccine development, regulating how we research with the virus, so that's important, um, but there's something to, to understand, especially when you look at Miami, and you look at the like the exclusion zone in Miami for pregnant women. It's it's important to understand and just be educated that mosquitoes don't read maps, right? And they don't know that they're not supposed to go like north of 10th Street or whatever. They have they don't know. So you have to be vigilant and aware. And I think minimize risk, um, be educated about the current state of things, and hopefully, you know, scientists will figure out a way to either knock out the Zika virus in the mosquitoes themselves or come up with an effective, an effective vaccine. So. What do you think about um, <coughs> our responsibility in like Africa and South America because they do have, they've been responding so poorly and it's affecting the rest of the world so much, like, do we have a responsibility to go over there and try to more like, deal with the problem more acutely there? I, I think that we should. I think that it's it would be ethical to do that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I get, you know, when I look at the virus being a new virus, I get kind of upset when I see that it was first described in the 40s. That doesn't mean that it just came on scene in the 40s. It could have existed, but like you were yeah. saying, People didn't know, they didn't have the technology, they didn't care. Um, but, you know, I wonder to myself, how would our response have been different globally if this virus emerged in a different area of the world? And I think that to be a, a better global citizen, I think that our monitoring agencies need to consider things on a global scale. Um, and, you know, for the, the sake of all, Global economy, and right, I, I think that that's very important. It'd be a good upbeat kind of thing to, to end yeah. up with. So, I want to thank you very much for educating us on this. And it'd be a good idea for you guys to pass forth the knowledge you have. And um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.